well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad that you're with us today. Uh, and we've got something a little unusual. We're going to do uh, two interviews. Normally we try to stick with one, but uh, I just, I, I, I'm not going to hang on to one of these until Monday. Uh, I want you to hear from uh, both of these folks today. Uh, first up, Alan Gottlieb, uh, executive director and founder of the Second Amendment Foundation, who was in Washington, D.C. last night on the grounds of the White House, one of those invited uh, to attend the acceptance speech by uh, President Donald Trump as he was renominated as the Republican uh, candidate there. Uh, this was a uh, obviously a, a, a pretty impressive uh, gathering, but it was also a chaotic experience beyond uh, the White House grounds. And again, all kinds of issues as folks were uh, trying to leave uh, because you had uh, protesters, demonstrators, agitators, uh, individuals who were uh, trying to commit acts of violence. I saw one video of a guy getting knocked down to the ground, an older gentleman who was just, you know, trying to walk away. And there's a crowd of 40 or 50 people surrounding him. And eventually he gets uh, pushed down to the ground. Now, some of that crowd then told the others, hey, back up, back up. Let him get up. Let him get up. So I want to make clear that not everybody out there was trying to start trouble. I also want to make clear that not everybody out there was willing to let individuals simply leave the president's address and walk back to their hotels unmolested. Uh, and uh, we know that, uh, you know, around the country, these, uh, quote unquote, largely peaceful protests um, do have that element uh, and depending on what we're talking about, that element can be pretty large. Uh, uh, we've got that uh, you know portion of the crowd that is not there uh, to exercise their First Amendment rights. They are there to try to kick off a revolution. And, yeah, that was definitely part of the scene in Washington, D.C. on Thursday evening. So let's start our conversation with uh, Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation talking about his experience in Washington, D.C. on Thursday night. Alan, thanks so much for coming on the program, sir. I'm glad you're able to join us today. Oh, it's always great to be with you, Cam. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, and listen, first of all, glad that uh, you're safe and sound because uh, you were there at the White House on Thursday night as President Trump was delivering his uh, acceptance speech for his uh, renomination as the Republican candidate. Uh, what was that like? First of all, we'll, we'll get to the aftermath of that speech and what happened after you left the White House. But but talk about, if you can, what it was like to, to be there at the White House as the president uh, delivered those remarks. Uh, I guess I was kind of amazed that I got invited. There were only, you know, uh, I don't know, 1,200, people that were there. And so I've, my wife and I were very surprised and we lucky to be there. It was a very interesting event. It was full of movers and shakers, and it was a great place to be. Uh, and, of course, a little bit of electrifying. And, of course, Trump was just fantastic in, in, in his speech. Uh, and I'm glad he referenced the, the protecting Second Amendment rights two times. And then in the fireworks display afterwards, it was amazing. Uh, and then, of course, getting out of you know the White House grounds, it was a bit amazing too, with all the r protesters. I'd rather call them more as, as unruly demonstrators because they were shouting obscenities and making hand gestures. Um, and and it was like very close to being violent getting out. There were a number of them that did get arrested for committing acts out in the streets. Um, and of course, while we were at the event, uh, they were trying to drown it out with uh, loud music and horns and all kinds of things. Uh, outside the White House grounds, it was really kind of obnoxious and rather rude. 
Yeah, I you know I'll tell you we couldn't hear at least I couldn't hear the uh, much of the outside noise. Uh, you know they're they're piping this stuff directly uh, from the feed into uh, you know our homes and, and stuff. So the the noise from outside of the White House wasn't that noticeable for I think viewers who are watching. But but how was it? Uh, what, I mean, could you hear what the president was saying, or how loud were were those protests uh, outside the White House? Well, their goal was to drown it out, but they weren't able to do that. But you could hear it uh, as background noise, and uh, in addition to, of course, their their horns that they were, you know, blowing and uh, loud music that they were playing and, and shouting out there, uh, you had a lot of police sirens too, trying to make sure that they, you know, weren't getting onto the grounds. So it was it was a little it was a little I mean disruptive that way, uh, but you could hear everything the president and everybody else was saying. They had a live feed into all of us for all the other part of the convention. So while we're sitting there, we could watch the whole convention as well as not just Trump's speech. And then as you left, as you said, I mean, these were uh, individuals. I mean, I've seen video of, uh, you know, some of the fellow uh, attendees who were knocked down to the ground as they were leaving. Uh, Senator Rand Paul uh, basically uh, chased down the street. And, he, you know, he says he doesn't think that he would have survived uh, to the hotel, making it to the hotel if police had not been there. Um, what 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 was it like actually as you left? I mean, were you just sort of thrust into that uh, that mass of uh, demonstrators and agitators? Well, uh, on the way out, uh, the gate that we left uh, outside, there were significant Secret Service uh, personnel and uh, city riot police dressed in riot gear, uh, and uh, you know a number of demonstrators, and uh, one of them which followed us on a bicycle for a little while up a street. Uh, but, you know, they, 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 they had a, a significant police presence to make sure that right when you got out of the White House, you're okay. The problem was they had cordoned off like maybe, I don't know, an eight block area around. So to get back to our hotel, we had to go way out of our direction to get and, and, and backtrack to get to the hotel. Uh, and on some of those streets, it was a little scary and it was kind of, quite frankly, you know, being licensed to carry concealed is one place where I would have liked to have been able to do it. Of course, the law doesn't let you. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, it is a uh, an exhaustive process uh, uh, to get a, a license there in D.C. Uh, even if you're a resident, as a non-resident, I think it's even more difficult. Uh, and I'm, I'm like I said, I'm glad to hear that uh, that you're safe and okay. Uh, that it was a good night. And, and again, it's fantastic that the president brought up uh, the Second Amendment not once but twice because uh, you know I think between now and Election Day. This is going to be on the minds of, of a lot of voters. I was talking with Larry Keene from the National Shooting Sports Foundation earlier this week. They're now estimating 5 million new gun owners since January 1st of this year. I mean, that's an incredible number of Americans. And I've got to think that even beyond those 5 million, Alan, we've got, you know, an untold number of Americans who would like to be new gun owners, but they're waiting for the, you know, Illinois State Police to, to approve their FOID application. Uh, they're waiting for California Department of Justice to, uh, to, to, you know, approve their background checks. We've got, in addition to the 5 million new gun owners, I don't know, we've probably got a million uh, more Americans who want to be new gun owners, but because of the, the bureaucracy and because of the infringements on their Second Amendment rights, they're stuck in this limbo right now. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's at least a million. Uh, and in fact, it's not just being able to uh, uh, get a permit to carry or purchase the gun. We just had to file a suit in California. As you know, they have a 10-day waiting period, which at this juncture they're not complying with. And to be able to purchase a gun and pick it up, it's taking now 30 days or more in the state of California. 
and that's just not acceptable. That's amazing to me that it's 30 days because, you know, if you guys, listen, I, and you and I have talked about the uh, the ammunition background check law in California, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But if you go in and you are able to find a box of ammo and you uh, want to purchase that box of ammo, it's not taking the state 30 days to do the background check for you to buy ammo. What is taking a month to approve these gun purchases? Well, you know, I don't know because it's a background check that can purchase uh, on a computer. And while computers, you know, can get viruses, they can't get COVID-19. <laughs> so I don't know what their excuse is. Unreal. But uh, listen, I'm, I'm glad to know that you all have filed suit and that uh, you're taking an interest in this. And, you know, I was just talking actually the other day online with a woman, um, not a gun owner, never wanted to own a firearm before in her life. She lives in California. Uh, and she is dealing with a, a guy, uh, was dealing with a guy who, um, was accosting her, uh, a neighbor, uh, who, you know, she's very concerned about. And I actually said, you know, listen, you might want to think about getting a gun. She said, today was the first day I've ever thought about wanting to buy one. And now I'm having to deal with California's gun laws. Yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing, uh, a significant increase in contributions and memberships from first time gun buyers, particularly coming in online unsolicited. Um, and th that's really a positive sign. I think all these new, you know, gun owners are going to have a significant, you know, impact that's not being measured in the polls right now in the coming elections. I think you're right. I absolutely think you're right. And, you know, look, I, I don't know if it's going to be enough to turn California red and elect Donald Trump over Joe Biden. But, you know, I, I was looking at New Jersey, for example. I think they've got about 100, no, maybe, a, yeah, it's like about 160,000 people who right now are twiddling their thumbs and waiting for the uh, state to get off the stick and, and approve their firearms ID cards. There are at least three congressional races in New York or excuse me, in New Jersey right now that are toss ups uh, or, you know, lean Democrat, but very close. And I'm I just can't help but think that uh, across those three congressional districts, uh, 160,000 votes or even 100,000 votes, uh, you know, from from new gun owners who are uh, fed up with the gun control laws that have deprived them of their ability to protect themselves and their family, uh, this could be a, a, a huge shift uh, for a number of races around the country, particularly in some of these battleground states. Well, I sure hope so. And considering we're seeing more, more rioting, looting, and arson you know, in, in our cities, as well as increased homicide rates because police hands have been you know, curtailed so, so heavily uh, and the defund the police movement, uh, people are realizing that when it comes to protecting yourself, your family, and your property, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna, it might come down to you, and that's what's driving a lot of these gun sales. And I think those are going to drive a lot of voters to the polls. Absolutely. Alan Godley with the Second Amendment Foundation. Listen, sir, thank you so much for coming on the program. It's always good talking with you. Safe travels uh, away from D.C., and I look forward to talking to you again very soon. My pleasure, Cam. Thank you very much. So, as we talk about some of these new gun owners and where they might have an impact, again, I, I don't know, and I, I, I would be shocked, to be honest with you, if California were to flip and turn red or the number of, you know, uh, new New Jersey uh, gun owners uh, causes that state to go red. But again, I do think that 
in swing states in particular, I mean, you look at, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you look at 2016, these were uh, states that were incredibly close in the presidential race. And I think that gun owners and new gun owners in those states can definitely have an outsized impact. But I also think even in states that are not considered swing states, when you look at these congressional races, new gun owners can absolutely have an impact. And in Oregon's fourth congressional district, this is one to keep an eye on. Uh, in Oregon's 4th Congressional District, you've got a, uh, a Democrat who's been there for something like over 30 years. Uh, Peter DeFazio is his name. Used to be pretty good on guns, honestly. Used to be okay. Uh, and then, like uh, you know, many Democrats, unfortunately, um, as the party moved further to the left on gun issues, uh, DeFazio, who was... I don't know if you call him a blue dog Democrat, but he was kind of in that same vein. Nah, he started adopting support for every gun control law you could think of. Well, he's being challenged this year. And I, I did some research, by the way, in Oregon's fourth congressional district. And it's fascinating. They, they, the Republicans ran the same candidate. And I think five election cycles. Uh, his name is Art Robinson ran in 2018, 2016, 2014, 2012, 2010. Yeah. And he was never able to get over the hump. Peter Fazio was actually able to win uh, fairly substantially. I think the closest was perhaps in 2016 when DeFazio won by 15 points, uh, 55, 40. Uh, a difference, by the way, of about 70,000 votes. This year, I think it's going to be a little bit different. Because this year, DeFazio is facing off not against Art Robinson. God bless him. Glad that he was running. Glad that the Republicans were able to put up some candidate. But I think they've put up a really good candidate this time around. Alex Gerlados. If that name sounds familiar, it may be because you saw the movie based on Alec and his friends, Spencer Stone and Tony Sadler, who stopped a gunman on a train that was heading to Paris back in August of 2015. Uh, this was uh, turned into a book. The, the, the pair or the trio wrote a, a book about their experiences called The 1517 to Paris. Uh, it was turned into a movie that uh, Clint Eastwood uh, was involved in. And Alec Scarlatos is now running for Congress. And uh, as you can imagine... He's got a pretty pro-Second Amendment point of view. Uh, Alex sat down with us to uh, talk about his candidacy, why he's running, and what he hopes to do in the district. Take a look and a listen. Alex, thank you very much for coming on the program today. It's great talking with you, and uh, congratulations on your congressional campaign, sir. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, been an interesting journey for sure. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, it's been quite a journey since the last time we talked. I think uh, you and I last spoke, um, gosh, I guess it was right after the book came out. Uh, and I guess the movie had been announced, but uh, it hadn't been released yet. So, I mean, let's kind of start there. How, what what made you decide that you wanted to actually, you know, take the plunge and, and run for office uh, there in the state of Oregon? Well, I actually met my state senator on a plane to Washington, D.C., and we started talking politics and agreed on most everything. And he encouraged me to look at politics as a way of continuing to fight for what we believe in. And I, of course, blew him off because he wants to get involved <laughs> in politics these days. But um, honestly, uh, we stayed in touch. And the more I learned, the angrier I got until I actually decided to do something about it. 
This is exciting. I mean, uh, and listen, I got to say, I mean, Oregon's 4th Congressional District, uh, as you well know, has been uh, represented by Democrats for a long time. Uh, Republicans have kind of put up, it seems like, token opposition, uh, same candidate, I think, in, in five different elections. But this is a district that is really interesting. I mean, it's, it's basically split evenly between R versus D. Uh, even though it's uh, been represented by Democrats in Congress for uh, a long time, it seems like this would be an area where uh, maybe you do have a lot of uh, uh, voters and constituents who feel like they're not represented uh, in Washington, D.C. Well, absolutely. And I mean, that is really why I'm running. I just don't feel like the incumbent Democrat represents a toss-up timber-producing district. I mean, he co-sponsored the Green New Deal with AOC, and he votes with AOC 96% of the time. And that's not something you usually see in someone that represents a toss-up district. I mean, that's, he votes like he's from Seattle or San Francisco or New York, and that is not rural Oregon. No, and your campaign, uh, I, I really appreciate the fact that you're talking about local issues. If you go to uh, Alex's website, alecfororegon.com, uh, as much as I love the Second Amendment, Alec, I, I think it's actually kind of cool that the timber industry uh, is the first thing that you talk about under uh, issues because that's something that, you know, not a big issue for me in Central Virginia, but I'm sure that that is a, an absolutely <laughs> critical issue and it's a kitchen table issue for voters in your district. Well, it's a huge issue and, I mean, it is really the thing that got me interested in politics to begin with because it's so essential to the way of life for people in southwestern Oregon. I mean, not only does it affect a lot of people's unemployment uh, and um, tertiary industries that support the timber industry, but also county government rely on the timber industry for a lot of their tax dollars. So it's really even bigger than just the economy. So it's, I mean, it's crucial to our way of life. Um, but that being said, I am a huge supporter of the Second Amendment due to what we survived on the, uh, train in the middle of a gun-free continent. So, um, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good that's a good segue, um, because I'm sure that there are some folks out there who, who might wonder, OK, well, Alec, why are you a, a Second Amendment supporter? I mean, gosh, you, you were there again in that gun free continent guy took out a gun illegally in a train, tried to kill as many people as possible as you and your friends who uh, had to stop him. But, you know, I mean, gosh, if, if we didn't have guns around, then, then none of that would have happened. You were a Second Amendment supporter before that day, too, I'm guessing. Right. Oh, absolutely. I had my, well, I was kind of almost so difficult with my permit, but of course I was in Europe and couldn't bring a gun with me and, uh, carried a gun every day, but didn't have one on me that day. The one time I needed it in the middle of a gun free continent, this guy was still able to get a fully automatic AK-47 and a handgun. And then not to mention that, but only six or seven weeks after the terrorist attack, there was a shooting at my community college and nine people were killed and then only about a week after that Spencer my friend from the terrorist attack that originally tackled the terrorist he uh, was involved in a stabbing in downtown Sacramento and my younger brother offered to loan him his Glock to use because he knew he was going into a bad area and he said no it's illegal to conceal carry in California and he was stabbed an additional like five times and um, I mean I just there's so many examples time after time of gun-free zones not working. And, I mean, frankly, if you look at even what they're doing or what they have been doing in Europe, you know, using trucks and bombs, I would much rather get into a gunfight than a bomb fight because I don't carry a bomb with me every day. 
Absolutely. And, you know, and it's interesting, I, I just uh, wrote a story earlier this week about what's going on uh, specifically in the Portland area, which I know is a little bit north of, uh, of uh, the 4th District. But, you know, th- there is a months-long wait right now in Multnomah County uh, for concealed carry applicants. The, the numbers are just skyrocketing uh, in the Portland area. And I'm, I'm sure that's going on in the 4th uh, District as well, even in what we would consider to be the, you know, quote-unquote liberal progressive anti-gun places. It seems like we have an awful lot of Americans these days who are watching the violence uh, taking place in so many cities. They're, they're seeing the unrest, uh, and, and they're reaching for their Second Amendment rights. They want to be able to protect themselves and the people they love. Well, absolutely, and I think with, like you mentioned, the riots that are going on, I mean, all over the Pacific Northwest and Kenosha and a lot of major cities, um, people see that, and they get worried, and they want to buy guns. I mean, not only that, but then on top of that, you have Democrats talking about funding the police. I mean, it's just very troubling to most people, and of course, being involved in politics, um, I'm always worried with what the numbers say, and the Second Amendment is polling like a 70% issue. I mean, even my district that I'm running in is very rural, but a lot of rural Democrats still want to be able to protect themselves because they can't rely on police as heavily as people in the cities because they're so spread out. And as a result, of course, you have people worrying about their safety and relying on the Second Amendment to do so. Absolutely. And uh, your opponent, uh, Peter DeFazio, um, not a huge fan of the Second Amendment, right? No. Um, he, I think he has like a 25 or 28% rating from the NRA. And um, he used to be a like a B, which is a shame because he's really gone incredibly far left in the last five or six years. Um, but I'm totally the opposite. I mean, like I said, due to what I survived, I think that everybody needs to be able to protect themselves and their family. Absolutely. Uh, and is that a big issue as you've been uh, traveling around the district talking to voters? I mean, what are some of the things that, that they're talking about and, and what are their concerns right now? Um, I mean, a lot of things that are fairly common across the United States, um, cost of prescription drugs, the Second Amendment, um, and then things locally in the district are the timber industry and the economy as a whole. We also are the poorest congressional district in the state of Oregon. And with an incumbent who's been there longer than I've been alive, he's been there for 33 years, I feel like that if he was going to do something for us, he would have done it by now. Yeah, he's kind of like the Oregon version of Joe Biden, isn't he? I had no idea that he had been there that long. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Has uh, has he agreed to any uh, campaign debates? Will you be uh, able to you know face off uh, against uh, Peter DeFazio there on a debate stage before Election Day? I think we tentatively have one on the calendar, but I don't think it's an in-person debate. I think it's like a Zoom debate because of the coronavirus and all that. Okay. All right. Well, that's that, I guess it's better than nothing. But uh, you know, it, it, it's. It's interesting how I think some politicians are able to uh, to, to use this uh, uh, COVID crisis to take those steps, right? And just, uh, you know, let, let's, let's do it uh, on Zoom. That way, maybe if I get in trouble, I can just have a bad internet connection and, you know, close the computer uh, as opposed to standing, you know, 10 feet away. You can socially distance. You can wear a mask. You can. There, there's no reason why you couldn't debate in person. I agree. <laughs> so, Alec, I mean, what is your message for, for voters? As, as you said, they've sent this guy to Congress. 
longer than you've been alive, why should they change? Well, I mean, he used to be considered a fairly moderate Democrat, but that's just not the case anymore, and he doesn't represent the district anymore. I mean, under his tenure, he's really overseen the economic collapse of his congressional district. He's never really passed a major piece of legislation. I think he's only passed maybe two ever. Um, So I just don't believe he's working for the district, and I don't believe he represents the district any longer. And I think we need someone that can work across the aisle, actually get things accomplished for the district that most people agree with, and not take incredibly partisan positions um, and really hold up bills and progress that would help us constituents. Alex Carlados, uh, again, running for Congress in Oregon's 4th Congressional District. Uh, Alec, listen, I really appreciate you coming to the program, sir. It's so good catching up with you, and I wish you the very best of luck. I uh, hope we can talk again maybe before Election Day, and maybe after that Zoom debate we can have you back on and talk about how that went. But uh, I'm looking here at, at uh, your opponent's website, Defazio for Congress. This is from 2018. Where he talks about, I'm open to legislation that would, quote, effectively ban military-style assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, which, by the way, the Ninth Circuit uh, uh, just ruled was unconstitutional, uh, in favor of a, quote-unquote, universal background check laws that uh, have done nothing in Washington state to lower the crime rate. Uh, so you're right. I mean, this is a guy who has embraced uh, the gun control agenda, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing what uh, you and he both have to say during that debate. I hope the right to keep and bear arms comes up as a, as a topic for discussion. Me too. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right, Alec, thank you so much, sir. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Alex Carlotto spending some time with us today, as well as Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. Now let's get to today's Armed Citizens story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. We'll start there with a story out of Nashville, Tennessee, where a man's been arrested for shooting a teenager. Now he's facing federal gun charges uh, because, as it turns out, not allowed to possess that firearm, much less to shoot a teenager. Uh, News 4 Nashville WSMV reports that uh, charges stem from a drive-by shooting back on August 21st. Uh, the victim shot in the leg, did survive, is recovering. Metro police officers responded to the shooting, and witnesses actually cooperated with officers. Good for them. I hope that they're willing to testify in court. They identified the uh, shooter as 21-year-old Jivon Ashley, who had fled the scene. Now, he was already wanted on a probation violation warrant. Uh, they were able to find Ashley hiding in a bedroom of a uh, home nearby. He was arrested. Officers found a loaded 40 caliber pistol under the cushion of a chair in the living room. Uh, they then uh, obtained a search warrant for uh, an apartment where they recovered uh, several more firearms as well as uh, uh, some ammunition. So now he's being charged in federal court with two counts of being a convicted felon in possession of a firearm. He's got two prior felony convictions in Davidson County, Tennessee, uh, one for stealing an automobile the other for being a convicted felon in the possession of a firearm. The fact that this case is already being referred to the U.S. attorney is great. This is great. Because think about this. Here's a guy, 21 years of age, already with one state-level conviction for being a felon in possession of a firearm. But he's already back out of the streets. And now accused of a violent crime. Now accused of shooting a teenager. So clearly... If you get arrested and charged in state court in the state of Tennessee with being a felon in possession of a firearm, you're likely going to be looking at a slap on the wrist as opposed to any serious time. 
The federal charges, on the other hand, for Ashley, could result in a 10-year prison sentence on each charge, with Ashley having to serve 85% of that sentence before he is eligible for release. So a violent offender could be going away for uh, quite some time. Uh, normally, our recidivist reports kind of highlight, you know, the, the, the awful plea deals, but every now and then I like to toss out a story that uh, might actually result with a, a violent felon being taken off the streets for a, a fairly substantial period of time. Now, our uh, armed citizen story of the day, kind of breaking news here uh, on uh, Friday morning, Lakeland, Florida, Polk County, where a homeowner shot and killed an out-of-control intruder, according to uh, sheriff's deputies. This is from uh, uh, Fox 13 in uh, Florida. Uh, and they say it's a bizarre chain of events that led to this homeowner shooting and killing a man who broke into his home. Friday morning... The suspect in this case, they say, uh, was driving on down the road with a female passenger car. At one point, he crashed into a tree. And he got out of the car, threw himself on the hoods of several other cars, tried to enter a school bus. The driver refused to open that door. Sheriff Grady Judge said she had stopped, picked up a child when this guy tried to get in the school bus. School driver's a hero. School bus driver's a hero, he said. She kept the doors locked, didn't let him in when he tried to get in. Then he tried to gain entry to a home. Sheriff said a nine-year-old child... His parents and grandparents were inside the home at the time. Father of the child grabbed a gun, called 911. That's when the unidentified intruder grabbed a piece of glass that broke off as he smashed a window and into the home. He said he threw it at the homeowner, Sheriff did. Sheriff Judge said that that's when the homeowner shot him. Our deputies arrived shortly uh, thereafter, attempted to provide first aid to the suspect. He was later pronounced deceased at uh, Lakeland Regional Hospital. So the homeowner not facing any charges. Again, this is this is sort of a bizarre String of events here. I'm very curious as to what the toxicology report will show uh, for this uh, deceased intruder, because this wasn't some, you know, late night burglary or some late night home invasion. This was broad daylight Friday morning as kids are going off to school, as people are, you know, eating breakfast in their homes. That's when all of a sudden this window is broken. Stranger comes inside, throws a, a piece of jagged glass at the homeowner. Uh, and again, the homeowner acting in defense of self and family, uh, shooting and ultimately killing that intruder there in Lakeland, Florida. Now, on to our good deed of the day, Albuquerque, New Mexico. We've been talking quite a bit, uh, by the way, at uh, Bearing Arms about the, uh, I believe, unconstitutional uh, anti-gun uh, laws that the mayor of Albuquerque is trying to put in place there in the city. But uh, in this case... We're talking about a couple of good Samaritans helping a uh, sheriff's deputy in a struggle with a uh, suspected drunk driver there in Bernalillo County. Lloyd Dollar is one of those good Samaritans. I'm sorry, I said this is Bernalillo County. It's actually a Lee County uh, there in uh, New Mexico. Sheriff's deputy had pulled over a suspected drunk driver closest back up, according to authorities, 30 miles away at the time. So it was just this deputy, just this driver. Suspect decided he wanted to tussle with the deputy. And that's when Lloyd Dollar and his buddy stepped in. He said, we just seen an officer in trouble. He was trying to handle the situation the best he can. He was by himself. It was late Tuesday afternoon when the uh, Lee County Sheriff's Office got several calls about a truck pulling a camper trailer that was swerving all over the road. Deputy Donovan Roll stopped the truck. As soon as the deputy started questioning the driver, identified as a guy named Darren Quimby of Carlsbad, New Mexico. Quimby became aggressive. Deputy asked Quimby if he would take a field sobriety test, which uh, Quimby refused, even telling the deputy, I'll fight you if you try to arrest me. Quimby finally took the test, but when he was told he was under arrest for DWI, 
He uh, was as good as his word. He began trying to fight the deputy. Quimby said he was going to take the deputy's weapon. That's when uh, Lloyd Dollar and Michael Hubbard saw what was going on. They're driving down the road. They stopped to uh, help the deputy. Michael Hubbard said it was reaction. We was driving. Lloyd seen it going on and said, not on my watch. He said he went on one side. I went out the other. We just didn't want to see somebody get killed or hurt. So Quimby was able to be taken into custody. Yesterday morning, Lee County Sheriff Corey Helton presented uh, both Lloyd Dollar uh, and Michael Hubbard with a certificate of valor for their actions. Deputy Donovan, not injured in the scuffle, says he's very thankful that those good Samaritans were there. Uh, Mr. Quimby, by the way, is currently uh, cooling his heels in the county jail. He is described by KRQE as having a, quote, lengthy criminal history uh, in the state of New Mexico. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Lloyd Dollar, Michael Hubbard, there in the uh, state of New Mexico, we thank you both for your very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. I hope that you enjoy your weekend. Coming up on Monday, we're going to talk with my friend Tony Simon. He is uh, the guy that's responsible for a fantastic uh, outreach program uh, in uh, the northern New Jersey area, the Diversity Shoot, which typically takes place uh, at a range in uh, northern New Jersey. But because of the uh, coronavirus, they've had to get a little creative. We're going to talk with Tony about that coming up on Monday. Uh, in the meantime, don't forget, you can subscribe to Townal Media on YouTube. That way you never miss one of these programs. You can also subscribe to Barron Arms Cam and Company on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your uh, fine podcasts. Enjoy your weekend. Be well. Be safe. Be free. And we'll see you soon with another edition of Barron Arms Cam and Company coming up on Monday. <laughs>